Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning. Good morning. We just finished Rekindle the Flame Conference in Athens, in, in Marietta, Georgia. And it was a wonderful experience. There were a lot of people there. The speakers were powerful. And the altar ministry just took over. And so today, I want to share with you about the character of God. I'm interested in this idea of the character of God. Because I want my character to be like His. I want my life to be like God's life. The Bible says, be holy as I'm holy. So I want to bring holiness into my life. And I've been praying for that for quite a while. Do you remember... Uh, 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 Melchizedek meeting Abraham, there's a point of character when that meeting happened. You see, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, came to receive Abraham in Jerusalem. And the king of Salem was Jerusalem, Salem. And uh, when he met Abraham, Abraham uh, brought the tide, brought 10% 10% of the spoils, human people, human beings, kings, and, and, and then also uh, large amounts of, uh, of uh, animals and, 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 and cows and all kinds of camels and, and horses. And, and so he had an abundance of spoils. But Melchizedek didn't want 10% of the, of the herds. He wanted all the 10% of the people that were there. And Abraham did something that I thought was just amazing. He said, uh, I don't want anybody to know that I made you rich. Because spoils, it's, 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 it's something that uh, gets old and dies. But people live and create wealth. It was a question of character. The same thing when Abraham and Lot's servants disagreed uh, uh, as, as to how to find water and whose well is this well and that well. They, Abraham made a, a very characteristic decision. He said, uh, I want you to have this part of the promised land. I'll have that part. And of course, it's a question of character. Abraham exercised character. Abraham was ordered by the Lord to sacrifice Isaac. One of the most difficult decisions in life. And the character of Abraham was so deep that he decided to do the right thing. Put the boy on top of the sacrificial stone, bind him, and simply find his dagger. And as he's about to perforate the chest of his only son Isaac, God spoke from heaven. An angel said, Take a ram caught on the thick of the bush right here and sacrifice him, but do not touch your son. Character. Do you remember do you remember Isaac and Rebecca? And Rebecca simply just went to God. And he asked God and she asked God, What's happening to me? These two these two babies are just hurting me. They're fighting against each other. In my womb. 
And she brought it to the Lord. And the Lord said to her, You have two nations inside of you. One stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. And of course, it took character from Rebecca to arrive to that conclusion. In Daniel chapter 3 verse 15, King Nebuchadnezzar told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that if they didn't worship the, uh, the, the image that he created in the desert, you know, a large image of gold and silver and, 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 and wood, if you don't serve those and bow down, I will turn, I'll turn to you and I'll throw you three into the furnace of fire. And right exactly at the moment that they heard that, he says, don't you worry about it. We're not going to question that. We will not do that. And that's character. That's character. Here's another thing about character in the New Testament. Remember the Syrophoenician woman that brought the, the woman, brought his, her daughter to Jesus? And, uh, and, uh, and Jesus says, I can't do that to Gentiles. I can't serve dogs. Right? It's time to serve the Israelites. And I can't do that. I can't. And she said... Uh, 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 I will eat the crumbs that fall from your table, Lord. Have mercy on my daughter. And that turns the heart of Jesus. Character. Character. The character of God is something identical to that and much more profound and much more unique. For instance, I found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Grace be to you in peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father. Notice that it simply says, Grace, peace from our Father. He's a loving Father. God is a loving Father. Giving thanks, and if, in Colossians 1 1, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us to meet means to qualify. God qualifies you to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. It's a loving Father. He qualifies you so you can be partakers of the glory of God. That's a loving Father. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, it says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, in patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God, our Father. Remembering. So Paul is looking to Thessalonians and saying to them, I remember you in my prayers, your work of faith. I remember your labor of love that you do so well. So many people throughout the world serve the Lord, doing wonderful things for the kingdom of God. And so Paul is simply saying to them, God remembers your service. God remembers what you do. God remembers that you are kind and gentle. And, uh, and He wants to bless you abundantly. He's a loving Father. Also, God is good. We talked about that all the time. God is good. And in Nahum, verse 1, 7, says this, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust Him. He cares for those who trust Him. God is faithful. Now that is very something. God is faithful. God who calls you, into the fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, nine. Character of God. Here's about, how about character when we speak about the love of God. He who loves not, 1 John 4.8, knows not God, for God is love. It's a part of His character to be a loving God. 
Think about the Israelites in the desert. A trip that's supposed to last 11 days lasted 40 years. Think about Him providing at night a light in the sky to illuminate the way and the path in the middle of the medium desert in the darkness. Think about during the day, as the scorching sun, God provided a cloud, a special cloud, that gave the Israelites cover over the scorching sun. God is a loving God. Think about another type of the character of God is holy. 1 Samuel 2.2 There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. 1 Samuel 2.2 So when it comes to holiness... It's really a personal thing between you and the Lord. It is something that separates vital Christians from Christians that are growing so small and so weak and so uh, uh, falling apart, so, so to speak, because they can't quite pursue holiness. But when, when you go into holiness, one of the things that is more disturbing to me out of the 31,000 verses in the Bible, is Hebrews 12, 14. It's the most demanding verse in the entire Bible. It requires holiness as a requirement for eternity. It requires holiness as a requirement for eternity. And it says this, it says this, Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I don't know if he's talking about the measure of character with a little holiness or lots of holiness. It doesn't per se as to how much holiness you're supposed to have when you seek <laughs> for you to see God. It simply says, pursue peace in, with all men, in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So there is, there is a requirement. Holiness is a requirement For eternity. In 1662, Thomas Brooks began a series of services in preaching on verse Hebrews 12, 14. He preached 58 sermons in 13 weeks on Hebrews 12, 14. And as he presented this, he brought a lot of people into conviction. The writer of the book of Hebrews presents the word this way, pursue, as a requirement for holiness. Pursue means you got to chase after. you got to go after. You've got to hunt for it. You've got to run after. You've got to hunt down holiness. It's very difficult to understand this verse because the word pursue is simply this, go after, hunt down. Look after, struggle with it, battle until you begin to win. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to, to have Hebrews twelve fourteen, but it's very difficult to attain it. Only the strong will attain it. Only the strong will understand the seriousness of this. And so there is a personal holiness that comes from sincere, diligent labor that is absolutely required in order to spend eternity with God in heaven. I want to give you an example of that in a, in, a, in, a more, in a more intimate way, in a more, a more, I would say, emotional way. 
As you all know, in Brazil, we have a feeding program. It feeds thousands. There are some years where I give 5,000 meals a month. In 30 days, I deliver 5,000 meals. The street fills with people as they come to the door to receive their offering, their plate full of food. Cooking begins early morning, like 5 o'clock in the morning. And by 12, there are so many plates already made, resting on tables all over the sanctuary in order to deliver hot meals to the poor. And they are very poor. They're registered. We know their names. We know where they live. We assist them with other things besides food. And so, one certain day, I run away, uh, we run out of, out of food. Just at the time when a lady came in with three children looking for her plates. And I had to tell her that we run out of food. And the funny thing is, I just did it without understanding what's in front of me. I simply did it because the reality was we didn't have any food. And I told her. And she began to cuss me. She didn't cuss me. She overdone cussed me. You see, the, the four-letter words that you have in, in, in English in Brazil are 15-letter words. It goes back to the great-great-great-great-grandfather. And she knew how to cuss supernaturally. The problem that happened was that as she began to cuss me, it wouldn't stop. I began to get angry. I began to get upset. How dare that this woman would stand in front of Rick Bonfim, the president of RBM in the States, and the president of Ministerio Rick Bonfino in Brazil, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and say things like that about my mother. And so, she left. And I was so glad that she left. But as I turned around and I went back to the kitchen, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And He said, You miss your opportunity of holiness. I said, Oh, come on. There's no holiness in that woman. She is as dirty as can be. The Lord said, You need to go back after her. You don't, you don't understand. And as He said, You don't understand, I finally got it. And what I heard was this. When you are about to die, when you are starving, and your children are crying, sleeping on your, on your lap in the middle of the day because there's no food, and these three little children, there's two little boys and one little girl, and the little girl was the most severely uh, 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 ill from lack of food. The Holy Spirit began to say, when you come to that point in life, and you can't fight anymore. All you have to say is to get angry. And she got angry with you. And the reason why she got angry with you is that she's hungry, really hungry. And so I sort of uh, turned around and began looking for her. The problem is I couldn't find her. So I began to hunt down her, find out where she was. And I went down the street all the way about a mile, came back all the way without a mile, went into the streets below, streets up, no way. Couldn't find her. And so I finally began to say, well, it didn't, I don't think she had time to go a mile. I'd say she's close to 300 feet the most. Because I turned around going to the kitchen, and the Lord began talking to me, and I took a couple minutes or two or three minutes there to think about it and, and be convicted. And so then I began to walk toward her. So she's got to be. Well, the cars in Brazil, 
on the curb, parked one against each other. And the trucks are a little higher. And the cars are a little lower. And so, she was under the truck. So I couldn't see her. She's right under the tires, under the axle, the rear axle of this truck. They're sitting there. The truck is not going to move because the, the way to move is to get somebody to move the car in the back. So they can back up and they do that. They know where the car is. And sometimes they simply roll the car out of position and put the car back in position because the door is open and you can put on, on, on neutral and do that. And I found her there. And when I began to talk, she began to cuss again. And I began to, to, to ask forgiveness. And I began to kneel down. And I began to put my head on the, on the floor, on, on the street cement or, 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 or asphalt, and began to ask her forgiveness. It took a while to get her to hear me, because she, so, she was crying and yelling again. And I said to her, I will give you food if you come with me. I apologize. And so finally, one of the little girl, the little girl came to me and, 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 and touched me and gave me a hug. And I got out of there with a the little girl. And I began walking with the little girl toward the mission. And I knew the mother began to follow me and the two boys. And I took them all the way inside of the mission. I sat them on the table. I went to the kitchen and said, give me a plate. Brother Rick, we're about to have lunch. You're not going to eat this food. Don't touch it. Put it back. Put, don't spit over the out of your mouth. Put it back. And I grabbed, grabbed all the plates that were there, four or five plates of all the workers, and said, go get a pizza. Do something. I need your food. And I gave the food to them. When I began to use, began to eat with them, they would not know how to hold the fork because they were trembling. And the fork would fall. And so they began to grab the food. They began to put the food in their mouth and grab it and food. And so I decided that uh, I needed to uh, do like them. So I began to grab my own food and put it in my mouth. Began to grab my own food and put it in my mouth. And the more I grabbed my food and put it in my mouth, I began to realize that God was doing something supernatural, supernatural, supernatural. Uh, I want you to know something. I want you to know something. Okay, I want you to know something. I hunt them down. Holiness is you have to hunt them down. Now, what is the work of God and how does God in you produce holiness? The first essence of the activity of God in your life that produces holiness Only the Holy Spirit can convict a soul. Only the Holy Spirit can convict a soul. There's no power. There's no entity. There's no angel. There's no holy man of God. Only the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit through the Word of God will convict a soul. And what I'm saying to you that you have to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in order to be holy. Number two, conviction of sin produces holiness. Conviction of sin produces holiness. 
What do you mean by that? I mean that when the Holy Spirit begins to convict your soul, sin loses its grip upon your life. The third thing I want to tell you is this. Is there any other way to pursue holiness? And I say no. There's no other way. Now, that presents a serious problem. Because the contemporary church today know very little about the work of the Holy Spirit. If I ask you ten questions of the work of the Holy Spirit, if you are not a Bible student, you probably will not be able to answer. Because the work of the Holy Spirit needs to be understood and respected and honored in your personal lives. And I want to read some scriptures for you, especially the last one of the last words of Jesus before his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It's in John chapter 16, verses 18 to 11. Matter of fact, it's on chapter 14 and 15, 16. But 16, 8 to 11 is perhaps the last words the Lord spoke as a teacher. He says, But very truly I tell you. What do you mean by very truly? He is saying, I want to call your attention. I have something that I believe is critically important in your life. And I want to tell you right now. It is for your good that I'm going away. What do you mean by that? You're leaving the disciples and you're going to heaven. Is there any good on that? It's for your good. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send them to you. So right away to begin, the Holy Spirit does what Jesus says to do. Conviction isn't the Holy Spirit, but who ordains the Holy Spirit to convict is God alone, God Himself alone. God creating holiness in you. And Jesus hears the voice of God. And the Holy Spirit hears the voice of Jesus. And you are convicted. And so holiness flows from heaven, from God, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, all the way to your sickened soul. Now Jesus in verse 8 says some more. That when He comes, the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now let's explain this. Sin... Because people do not believe in me. So the presence of Jesus in you, through the work of the Holy Spirit, brings conviction. In other words, I believe in Jesus because the Holy Spirit showed me Jesus in His glory, in His power, in His majesty. It wasn't the Holy Spirit by Himself doing that in my life. What happened here is not just one person of the Trinity doing the work of holiness. It is God Himself working through Jesus and speaking by the Holy Spirit to you. And it says this about righteousness, because I go to my Father and see me no more. So when Jesus was with us, you could see righteousness all over Him. There's no sin in Jesus. After temptation of 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, Jesus came out of there hungry and God gave him victory by using three verses of Deuteronomy and God persisted through Jesus and the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that Jesus is on earth and as God began to show him what to do about the temptation, 
the Holy Spirit undergirded him. In judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. It's done. In other words, Satan has no authority, no power over you. And that is, 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 it is, it is a part of holiness. It's a part of holiness because when the Holy Spirit begins to convict you that Satan is defeated at the foot of the cross, you have power over forces of darkness. How can you be a Christian and not exercise the power that God gives you over darkness, over evil in this world? The reason why evil is so prevailing in our denominations and there's so much theological disproportion and so much ignorance and so much accusation against the Holy Spirit that becomes a sin in itself. The reason why that exists is because we have not understood what Jesus is saying on this verse, verse 11. Judgment because the prince of this world, it's already judged. It's already condemned. It is finished, Jesus said. You have power over darkness, and you have to exercise it. So, what happened in this process of these three areas of conviction? Number one, the sense of sin consummated in rejection of Him who came to take away the sins of the world is completed. Sin loses its grip. Sin is able to die when the Holy Spirit of God begins to operate in your life. Sin begins to lose its grip on you when the Holy Spirit begins to tell you about what to do and what not to do and separate you from evil. You've got to understand this. You, in other words, in order to go to heaven, you have to be holy. And I'm telling you that one of the things you need to understand is that conviction of sin, the sense of sin is consummated because God came through Jesus to take away the sin. He didn't forgive. He didn't talk to. He didn't make friends. He didn't ask the devil. He, didn't, he simply took away sin. And the devil, without the power of accusing you and condemning you, he has no grip. Number two, the sense of perfect relief in the righteousness of the Father's servant. Sense of perfect relief. It's a release. Righteousness is the power of God to become by the love of God. When you study that, you begin to understand Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. What do you mean by that? We trust that the work of the cross is what Jesus did in order to save my soul. So since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Now, when you have peace, it's God's peace. When you have grace, it's God's grace. And when you rejoice, it's God's rejoicing. When I see a Christian sitting down there with a faith of my morning, faith of 1942, and, and you just simply... Do not have any joy. You can't lift your hands. You don't smile. There's no joy in your life. I begin to be concerned about your eternity because you're not responding to the joy of God in your personal life. You have sadness in you. Now, number three, the sense of emancipation from the feathers of Satan whose judgment brings men liberty to be holy. I sat at the first service at Mount Bethel Church 
ready to pray for people that are coming to the altar as Dr. John Freeland uh, is about to finish his sermon. And I saw a young lady aged about uh, 38 to 40, 35, 40. And she was ready to explode. She's standing and weeping that the conviction of the Holy Spirit was upon her. And she had some flags in her hand. And in my mind, I am thinking, if she gets up there with those flags in the midst of a 930 service, where they never seen flags like that, it's going to upset some people. And I don't know why she didn't do the flags. But you see, the joy of the Lord consumes you. The joy of the Lord loves you. And so the feather of Satan, whose judgment brings men liberty to be holy, and transformation of the servants of the devil into daughters and sons of the Lord God Almighty, is something we have to celebrate with joy. Clap and raise hands and celebrate people that are coming to Christ. But when they see you formal, without movement, without expression, it's not a fun thing to be a part of it. So Jesus says then, after this, these three things that I shared with you, He says this, I have much more to say to you, than I can, but, but you can bear now. I have much more to say to you, you can bear now. I have simply four truths and promises to tell you before I finish. Number one, He will guide you to all truth. Number two, the Holy Spirit will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears. Number three, He will tell you the things to come in your life, which is a prophetic, powerful, wonderful thing. And He will glorify Jesus because it is from Me that He will receive, Jesus is saying, and, and what He will make known to you came from Me. I, Jesus said, I'll be talking to you through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God is my mouth. Lord bless you. Show!